Part two, chapter nine of the Dead Letter by Meta Victoria Fuller Victor. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Joining the missing links. The scene which transpired in the next few minutes was harrowing. The revulsion of feeling, the shock, the surprise, and the horror were almost too much for human nature to bear. Groan after groan burst from Mr. Argyle, as if his breast were being rent in twain. Mary tottered to her sister and threw herself at her feet, with her head buried in her lap. If she had not been so healthily organized and of such an even temperament, I know not how she would have survived this frightful check to her hopes and affections. It seemed as if Eleanor, who had lived only to suffer for so many weary months, had now more self-possession than any of the others. Her thin white hand fell softly on her sister's curls with a pitying touch, and after a time she whispered to her some words. My own surprise was nearly as much as any one's, for although many times I had felt that James was the guilty one, I had always tried to drive away the impression, and had finally almost succeeded. In the meantime no one went to the unhappy man who found a temporary relief from shame and despair in insensibility. All recoiled from him as he lay upon the floor. Finally Mr. Burton forced himself to raise him, consciousness was returning, and he placed him on the sofa and gave him a handkerchief wet with cologne. Presently Mary arose from her kneeling position, and looked around the room until her glance fell on me, when she came toward me, and grasped both my hands, saying, "'Richard, I never accused you. I always felt that you were innocent, and always said so. You must forgive the others for my sake. My father and sister will bear me witness that I always defended you from the accusations of one who, it is now proved, sought with double, with inconceivable baseness, to divert suspicion from himself to another.' Her voice trembled with scorn. I never wanted to marry him, she added, bursting into tears, but they over-persuaded me. Quiet yourself, sister, said Eleanor, gently arising and approaching us. We have all wronged you, Richard. I fear beyond forgiveness. Alas, we can now see what a noble enemy you have been. In that moment I felt repaid for all I had suffered, and I said, with joy, Never an enemy, Miss Argyle, and I forgive you wholly. Then there was another stir. James had risen to slip away from the company, now so distasteful to him, but Mr. Burton again stood between him and Egress. As he did so, he said, "'Mr. Argyle, it is for you to decide the fate of this miserable man. I have kept all my proceedings a secret from the public. I even allowed George Thorley to remain in Mexico, for I thought your family had already suffered enough, without loading it down with the infamy of your nephew. If you say that he shall go unpunished by the law, I shall abide by your wish.' This matter shall be kept by the few who now know it, for your sakes, not for his. I would spare him the death which he deserves, but he must leave the country at once and for ever. Let him go, said his uncle, his back turned upon the murderer, toward whom he would not look. Go, instantly and forever, and remember, James Argyle, if I ever see your face again, if I ever hear of your being anywhere in the United States, I shall at once cause you to be arrested. And I the same, added Mr. Burton. God knows, if it were not for these young ladies, whose feelings are sacred to me, I would not let you off so easily. He opened the door, and James Argyle slunk out into the night, and away, none knew whither, branded, expatriated, and alone, away without one look at the fair, beautiful girl who was so soon to have been his bride, away from the home he had periled his soul to secure. When he had gone we all breathed more freely. Mr. Burton had yet much to say for he wished to close this horrible business for ever. 
he took the surgical instrument which we had found in the tree and fitted it to the piece which had been extracted from the body of the murdered man and showed the family the initials of george thorley upon it he then produced the written confession of thorley which we all read for ourselves but as it contained only in a plain statement the facts already given i will not repeat them here he then proceeded with the history of the dead letter which also he had with him and which proved to be in the same handwriting as the confession in speaking of the curious manner in which this document had been lost to be recovered in the right time by the right person he seemed to consider it awfully providential from this he went on with a minute history of all the steps taken by both of us our journey over the ocean the wonderful success which waited upon patience perseverance and energy securing the final triumph of justice and to conclude with he said i owe still a good many explanations both to you mr argyle and to mr redfield i cannot lay before you the thousand subtle threads by which i trace the course of a pursuit like this and which makes me successful as a detective but i can account for some things which at times have puzzled both of you in the first place there is about me a power not possessed by all call it instinct magnetism clairvoyancy or remarkable nervous and mental perception whatever it is it enables me often to feel the presence of criminals as well as of very good persons poets artists or marked temperaments of any kind the day on which this case was placed before me it was brought by two young men your nephew and this person now present i had not been ten minutes with them when i began to perceive that the murderer was in the room with me and before they had left me i had decided which was the guilty man but it would have been unpardonable rashness to denounce him without proof by such a course i would throw him on the defensive defeat the ends of justice and overwhelm myself with denunciation i waited and watched i put him under surveillance that night upon which he crossed the brooklyn ferry to pay the money to the hired assassin i was upon his track i heard the angry dismay with which he accused richard of following him when the other met him upon this side it was not very long after i began to investigate the case before he cautiously approached me as he did you with hints of the might be guilty party he made me see how much to the interest of his friend richard it would be if rivals were out of the way and how desperately that person loved miss argyle forgive me friends for using plain language the whole truth must be told but i need not dwell on his method for you must be familiar with it i confess that he used consummate tact if i had not read him from the first i too might have been misled he was not over-eager in the search for suspected persons as the guilty almost always are he did not suspect miss sullivan as richard did i favoured the pursuit of miss sullivan for two reasons the first was to conceal my real suspicions the next was after finding her handkerchief in the garden after the flight and all those really strong grounds for supposing her connected with the murder i began to think that she was connected with it through some interest in james argyle i did not know but that she might have been attached to him that the child she cared for might be his you see i was totally in the dark as to all the details i only took it for granted that james was guilty and had to gather my proofs afterward it was not until after my interview with lisi at moreland villa that i became convinced she had nothing to do with the murder and that all her strange proceedings were the result of the grief she felt at the tragic death of one whom she secretly loved when i had an interview with you on that same afternoon i saw that james had poisoned your mind with suspicions of mr redfield for the same reason which had kept me silent so long that is that i should eventually undeceive you i did not defend him as i otherwise should apparently i allowed the case to drop it was only that i might follow it undisturbed 
I had already fixed upon California as the retreat of the accomplice, and was about to start off in search of him when Richard appeared upon the scene with the dead letter in his hand. From that hour I felt sure of perfect success. My only anxiety was that the marriage should not be consummated, which would seal my mouth, for if Mary had been married on my return I should have considered it too late to reveal the truth. This made me very uneasy, not only for her sake, but because then I could not clear Mr. Redfield's character to those friends who had cruelly wronged him. I kept my suspicions from him, although he was the partner of my investigations, for I was afraid that his impetuosity might cause him to do something indiscreet, and I did not want the guilty one alarmed until the net was spread for his feet. Tonight, when I came here, I still further carried on my plan of allowing you to remain undecided until the last moment, for I counted on the sudden, overwhelming accusation having the effect to make the murderer confess, which it did. I wished Miss Sullivan to be present, not only to corroborate any points of my testimony in which she might be concerned, but that reparation might also be done her, for we have troubled and frightened her a great deal, poor thing, when her only fault has been too keen a perception of the nobility of that departed martyr, whose memory his friends cherish so sacredly. She has but a brief space to dwell on earth, and I thought it would comfort her to know that no one blames her for the pure devotion which has lighted her soul, and consumed it like oil which burns away in perfume. Mr. Burton never meant to be poetical, but his perceptions were of that refined kind that he could not withhold from poor Lisi this little tribute to her noble folly. His words touched Eleanor. She was too high-minded to despise the fruitless offering of another and a humbler woman at the shrine before which she was privileged to minister. I believe in that hour she felt the sister's interest in poor, lowly, but love-exalted Lisi Sullivan. She crossed over, took the wasted hand in her own, and pressed it tenderly. We all now perceived how much this dreadful evening had fatigued the invalid. "'She must go to bed at once,' said Eleanor. "'I will call Nora and have her placed in the room which opens out of ours, Mary.' The young ladies retired to give their gentle attention to the sick girl, and both, before they went out, pressed my hand as they said good-night. We three men remained long, talking over each particular of our strange story, for we could not feel like sleeping. And before we parted for the night, Mr. Argyle had humbled himself to confess that he was led to condemn me without sufficient cause. "'I loved you as a son, Richard,' he said in a broken voice, "'better than I ever loved James, for I was aware that he had many faults of heart and head. And when I was induced to believe you the author of the crime, which had broken all our hearts, I was still further downcast.' my health has failed as you see and i was urgent upon mary to marry her cousin for i felt as if she should soon be left friendless and i wanted the girls to have a protector i might better have left them to the care of a viper he added with a shudder poor mary dear girl she was right all the time she never did love that man though of course she had no idea of the truth thank god it is no worse i knew he was thinking of the marriage and i too murmured thank god "'Mr. Argyle,' said Mr. Burton, laying his hand on that of the other, "'this terrible affair is now brought to a close, as far as it can be. Let me advise you to brood over it as little as possible. Your health is already affected. I acknowledge it is enough to shake one's reason, but, for that, I would bid you to drop it all from your mind, to banish the thought of it, never to refer to it again. You can yet be tolerably happy. A fair future lies before all of you, except dear Miss Eleanor. Adopt Richard as your son.' Make him your partner, as you first intended. I will give you my warrant for what it is worth, that he will relieve you both of business and household cares, 
and that you will feel during your declining years as if you indeed had a son to comfort you but i do not believe that richard would take such a place after what has passed said mr argyll doubtfully i hesitated for a moment pride rebelled but since all is forgiven ought it not to be forgotten when i spoke it was with heartiness if you need a partner in your office and wish me to take the place i will do so then the contract is signed said mr burton almost gaily and now i will try to find a bed at the hotel of course you will not said our host this house is yours as much as mine mr burton always how much i thank you for all the time money and thought you have lavished in our behalf i will not try to say to-night our gratitude is unspoken because it is boundless don't thank me for following out the instincts of my nature said the detective affecting carelessness and with that we shook mr argyll's hand and retired to the rooms assigned us in the morning miss sullivan was found to be much worse the journey and the excitement had made her very ill so that it was impossible for her to return to the city with mr burton a physician was sent for who said that she could not live over two or three days she heard the sentence with apparent joy only she begged mr burton to send little nora up to her on the evening train that she might see the child before she died this he promised to do and to have always an interest in her welfare she was much affected when he bade her farewell for he had gained her love and confidence by his manner of treating her the child came and was tenderly received by the sisters they were unwearied in their attentions to the sufferer whose last hours were soothed by their earnest words of hope and comfort lisi died with a smile on her face going out of this world which had been so cold to one of her impassioned nature with joy when i looked at the wasted corpse i could hardly realize that the fire was out for ever which had so long burned in those wonderful eyes it was not quenched it had only been removed to a purer atmosphere she was buried very quietly but reverently on a beautiful winter day her little charge was much petted by the young ladies and as a lady who chanced to see her learning that she was an orphan took a fancy to adopt her they with mr burton's consent resigned her to a new mother i have seen little nora lately she is a pretty child and well cared for end of part two chapter nine